You're listening to a Miscellany News production. Hello and welcome to the More Than Miscellaneous podcast. I'm Alex Barnard, the Miscellany News' audio editor. This week, Editor-in-Chief Jessica Moss and Managing Editor Frankie Knuckles sit down with anthropology professor April B. Saw to discuss the recent discovery of Native American remains on Vassar's campus. And later, Contributing Editor Izzy Bram and Frankie Knuckles chat with News Editor Anna Khan about her recent article regarding the case of Nicole Adamondo. days ago, President Bradley sent out an email telling the campus that there had been some Native American remains found in one of the buildings on campus. And this has triggered a campus-wide discussion about what this means for the campus and also for um, like any violations with the law. There's been um, breach of the NAGPRA Act. And so we are here with our editors to discuss that. Thank you, Izzy. Yeah, so just to reiterate what Izzy just told us, um, we're just going to do a brief overview of the timeline before we dive into our interview with Professor Besaw. So on Wednesday, February 12th, um, President Bradley released an emailed statement to the faculty and the student body um, detailing the discovery of Native American human remains and cultural artifacts um, in a campus building. Um, She stated that the storage of the remains, which had been acquired in the 1980s and the 1990s, was in violation of the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, um, which is shortened to NAGPRA. Bradley did affirm later that Vassar will surely comply with NAGPRA going forward, um, beginning with the repatriation of these remains and cultural artifacts. Um, And now the campus is officially in compliance uh, with NAGPRA for the next six months. Um, But we wanted to dive a little bit deeper in how this was initially revealed. So we have Professor Besaw here to shine light on that. So why don't we just dive in and start with some of the basics. When did you begin to suspect that something was wrong and start pushing for action on your end, Professor? It's hard to put an exact day or, or month or even year on it um, because it, when I was hired here in 2012, um, it was obvious to me that there were some collections that needed to be repatriated, mm-hmm. but the professor who was in charge of those collections assured me that that was happening, that was going forward. And as you do with people who are working with you, especially people who are senior to you, mm-hmm. um, you accept that. and. Mm-hmm. As time was going on, I wasn't seeing progress, so I started asking more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wasn't delving in, so I, I don't have numbers, I don't have days, I don't, I don't have any of those details. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until uh, last semester that I was completely sure, mm-hmm. right? Maybe over the summer I was getting more and more sure, um, but I had questions that I started asking that weren't being answered, Mm -hmm. and I needed to recruit senior colleagues to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Academia is very hierarchical, and until you have tenure, which I got two years ago, um, you you can be let go at any time. Right. Um, And the people who hired you are the ones who are always evaluating you. And only your senior colleagues evaluate you. So nobody who has been hired after me evaluates me, mm-hmm. right? So I had to enlist senior colleagues to ask the questions that I wasn't getting the answers to. But for the most part, I knew for sure right before that email went out from President Betsy. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're not speaking on behalf of the college in any capacity, um, but – 
President Bradley indicated in a VSA meeting that she um, that this was brought to her attention in October during the fall semester um, by Dean Hoynes. Um, so obviously this had spread around um, before anybody else was able to take it up um, with the administration. Um, but that aside, um, I thought we would dive in a little bit deeper into what NAGPRA is. Um, you've been teaching a course on it this semester, and obviously you've been very informed on this for a very, very long time. Um, so I'm wondering if there's anything that you think that students should know about NAGPRA that they can't find in, like, a brief Google search. I, I think the most important thing that isn't going to be laid out but is very easy to understand is that repatriation is the return of control, mm-hmm. right? So – the most famous cases are the Elgin marbles or the Parthenon marbles that are at the British Museum that the British Museum still will not give back to Greece regardless mm-hmm. of the fact that Greece has done everything that uh, the British Museum has asked. So the the taking of uh, Native American remains, Native American collections and stuff was something that happened all across art, um, natural history collections, mm-hmm. archaeologists, anthropologists, lots of people collected Native America, and that caused a loss mm-hmm. to the Native American communities, especially when people's ancestors were taken from them without their permission. So repatriation is to give back control, and part of giving back control is letting the tribes dictate what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's why there is going to be a standstill and there isn't going to be the fast action that people are expecting because we're at the point where the tribes have been contacted and they need time. Right? Mm-hmm. They need time to process the information. They need time to ask questions. They need time to understand what is going to happen next. And then they will tell us what happens next. And if we push them, then we're doing the same injustices as collecting from them without their permission. Mm -hmm. To that end, we completely discourage anybody trying to contact the tribe or um, discover what the name of the tribe, the tribes affected um, were for certain. Just kind of speaking to like what's happened now, we know that moving forward, we're going to work to comply. We're in compliance now. We're Mm -hmm. doing what we can. We've handed this to the authorities that are appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you feel Looking back to the past, what went wrong with how this was originally handled? Why is it coming to light now? So NAGPRA passes a law in uh, November of 1990. So at that point, first the, the timeline was three years that all federally funded institutions that have collections of Native America, whether it be human remains or just art objects, right, which to outsiders seem like art but to insiders might be sacred items, mm-hmm. um, Once November 1990 happened, any institution that has collections that are Native American that receives federal funds needed to stop doing any research, to do inventories of what they have, to contact the tribes and offer things back. And if the tribes did not ask for things back, then it was fine to retain them, right? It's an offering. It's not a pushing. Again, giving control, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not, oh, we have your stuff. You have to come take it. Come with a U-Haul, right? Um, So at that point... They extended it from 1993 to 1995 because lots of institutions just did not have the time. The secret most people don't know is that most museums don't know what they have. We think of museums as hyper-organized. The organization is in the displays, and the displays are less than 10%, sometimes only 1% of what they have. So that process I wasn't here in 1990. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Where, you, where were you guys in, in 1990? <laughs> Non-existent. Yeah, and, and most people that were at Vassar in 1990 are either retired or no longer of this earth or they don't remember 
Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten anybody who is old enough to have been here in 1990. It seems like the college just didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Vassar is unique in that many, many colleges didn't do anything. So the national museums started first, right? And they had the biggest collections and they were officially federal organizations, so they had to. But this is common. This is happening at colleges all over that as people retire, they're leaving behind their things that somebody else has to go through. Mm-hmm. So this is happening now because a retired faculty member is receding from the department mm-hmm. and those spaces that are left behind, people are looking in those spaces going, wait, what is this? Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to do all across the campus. We have to do it in the history department, the biology department, in the art department. Every single department just needs to check. And it isn't a bad thing to have stuff. It's a bad thing to hide that you have collections. So we just need this this realm of honesty and but this intentionality and because we and many other small colleges don't have somebody whose job this is, it just hasn't gotten done. So what I'm hearing is that this is not an isolated problem for one collection on campus or one professor or even one department, but it's just something we need to go back and do yeah. what this law requires us to do and right. ensure that everything is appropriately handled. Yeah. When I was hired in 2012, I did an interview and say, oh, by the way, are you guys compliant with a law that passed in 1990? Right. So it was the collection and the professor who retired and the discovery of those collections that triggered me as somebody who's in the only campus expert on NAGPRA mm-hmm. to ask questions. And if anybody's interested about any organization that they're associated with, um, when you are going to repatriate anything through NAGPRA, you have to publish the intent to repatriate in the newspaper of the federal government, which is called the Federal Register. So if you type in federalregister.gov, it is the website of the the government newspaper that I'm sure nobody reads. Um, (laughs) If you're bored and need to go to sleep. Read it. Uh, But if you type in in the search box NAGPRA, N-A-G-P-R-A, and then the name of any institution that is a federally funded institution that you know or suspect has native collections, just follow it. And if you type in NAGPRA and Vassar, zero documents come up. So that's what I did to say, wait a minute, we didn't do anything. That's Mm -hmm. how I knew it was bigger than just this collection. So President Bradley also affirmed what you just said about, you know, checking through all of our collections going forward. Um, I know she's assembled a task force. Um, so the college has began to take action. Um, but do you have anything that you think the student body should be doing in order to, like, respond to this situation? I was just speaking to some students earlier today. I'm just responding to emails and whoever wants to meet, I'm meeting with them and talking this through with them. I don't want to tell students what to do. I mean, this is... Mm-hmm. I do that plenty in my syllabi in my mm-hmm. classes. Um, but because I've been thinking about this and talking about this for two decades now, um, you know, I, I have some potential suggestions that feel free to, to ignore. But I would like to see that there's a separate student task force mm-hmm. and that the students focus on the healing of the campus and the trying to understand, like, what responsibility do we as people of New York, people of the United States, have to know the native past and the native present. Right? It, are we good Americans if we can't name the local federal tribes? Um, I have various thoughts about 
territory acknowledgments and I use mm. territory acknowledgments in my class. But I don't use the same acknowledgment that most people would say. Most people would say, this is the land of the Wappinger. But because the Wappinger does not exist today as a, as a tribe, as a sovereign nation, to just say that and move on erases all of the tribes that are actually of this land that still exist as mm. sovereign nations. So in my classes, I say that this is this is the land of the Delaware Nation, the Delaware Tribe, and the Stockbridge-Munsee with links to who those people are. Mm. So if the campus would like to start including territory acknowledgments in all of our events, I think we should do so, but with having taken the time and effort to know what it means to say what we're saying and to potentially build relationships with those three nations. Mm -hmm. Right. Why don't we have that knowledge? Why don't when we have banquets, why don't representatives at least feel invited to come here? Mm -hmm. Some colleges fly the flags of their indigenous nations. Right? We could do these things like we don't need help with the NAGPRA thing. We've, we're we're going to do it and I'm going to make sure that it gets done. Um, we've got compliance experts on it. That's OK. We need students to pressure the departments that aren't anthropology to check everything. Mm -hmm. We need students to think about how did this happen from the student perspective that how come students aren't asking questions and to make this a meaningful learning moment that there are 573 federally recognized Indian nations in our country and we should know who they are and what their current needs are. Thank you so much for coming in to speak with us. Um, there will be more information coming soon on this topic. We're Sorry. going to uh, move on from this segment, um, yes. and we're going to hear now from Anna Khan, who is a news editor at the Miscellany News. Hi, Hi, Anna. Hi. So thank you so much for having me today. Mm -hmm. yeah. So do you want to give us an overview about your piece and what you're going to be discussing with us today? Yes. So um, today I'm here to talk about the Nicole Adamondo case. I wrote about it for last week's edition of the Miscellany News. And it first was brought to my attention by members of the uh, Black Student Union of the BSU here on campus. I'm friends with the uh, chair of political education. And they brought this case to my attention um, the week before saying that Nicole Adamondo was a woman from Poughkeepsie who was sent, found guilty last year of um, of murdering her live-in partner of over 10 years, who was also the father of her children. However, you know, she did it for reasons of self-defense, citing mm -hmm. years of domestic violence, of sexual abuse, of emotional torture. Mm -hmm. And after the judge found her guilty, the reason why they... Um, that it was pressing that they brought it to my attention was because that week the judge had found that the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act, which was named, which was passed uh, last year by Governor Cuomo of New York State, in response to a woman who served 17 years uh, after um, killing her abuser in self-defense, um, that found that that act would not apply to Nicole Anamondo's case and. A lot of people in the Poughkeepsie community, a lot of people here at Vassar were saying, well, if it doesn't apply to Nikki Anamondo, which is, you know, Nikki was her nickname from mm -hmm. her friends, then who would it apply to? You know, so it became this question of not only finding justice for this woman, of believing survivors, but also the fact that this is a very new law and it's the second case in which judges have denied the use of the law. And now that it's going to, now that, um, Nikki's defenders and you know friends and family are looking to push this to the appellate level it'll it'll definitely be important in deciding how the law will be used in New York state case laws in the future 
I guess my first question about this is what has been the reaction from the community about her sentencing? So I think it depends on who you ask. From the people I've interacted with, so I've spoken extensively to uh, with friends and you know supporters of Nicole Adamando. I went to her vigil after the sent after the formal sentencing last mm-hmm. week. You know where a lot of you know some members of her family were there as well as you know close friends, and obviously they're devastated mm-hmm. because even though they've known about the guilty sentencing a year in advance, you know they they expected the sentence to be harsh. It's just I think hard to understand why this is happening to Nicole when she's when she had so many people who testified on her behalf when she had so many professionals nurses forensic psychologists who forensic nurses who came in and said that yes this man was her abuser for almost a decade um, that the prosecution and the judge in the email that I last read, they were shocked at, you know, the judge and the prosecution said that Grover could not be proven to be her abuser. One, it was mm-hmm. very obvious to them that he was. And um, I've also, you know, tried to read some comments and some of the reactions from people who, you know, agreed with the judge and the prosecution. And, you know, they say it's only fitting that, a woman should also have to pay the price for her actions, which was, you know, an interesting take. And, um, you know, if you go on Facebook, close friends and family of Grover, you know, that you can see them, they're tagging like his mom and stuff are saying, you know, justice for Chris, which was his name was Christopher Grover. Um, what, what really struck me the most when I was talking to people was they were just very frustrated by the way that this this case had been covered over the past Mm -hmm. two and a half years Mm -hmm. because it was very clear that no one in the establishment believed Nicole or wanted to believe Nicole. Mm. So can you speak um, a little bit more specifically about uh, the Adamondo defense committee, uh, who these people are, what they're doing to organize, um, what their goals are? Yeah, so the Nicole Adamando Defense Committee was be, was started by Elizabeth Clifton, who is a former Davidson House Fellow. She's also the wife of uh, Professor Alan Clifton in the psychology department, and um, Nicole's sister Michelle Horton. They, you know, they joined together and they created this, you know, group for women and supporters of Nicole who wanted to, you know, express their support for her in the case. They also do things like they help fundraise for Nicole because, you know, obviously the legal fees that the trial has incurred are really just like increasing. Um, they try to rally moral support. They try to get Nicole's message out there. They try to. They, you know, are, they were very welcoming of me when I reached out to them, because they really believe firmly that the public will stand behind Nicole if they know what's going on. So that's also a large part of what they do. Uh, they have a website. We stand with Nikki and I K K I, and that was how I first got in touch with them. So they really just do a bunch of different things to kind of help Nicole. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could comment on, there's been a fair amount of national media coverage as well and uh, large media organizations covering this case. Um, do you want to comment on uh, that trend? Yeah, so I did a fair amount of research for the case before I actually went into the court on Tuesday just because um, it, I couldn't concretely like sit down and write about the case or about the the sentencing without understanding what had happened. So I read 
every article that mentioned Nicole Anamondo in the Poughkeepsie Journal. I read various articles from the Daily Beast that, you know, not only talked about Nicole, but the other woman from Buffalo who tried to use the DVSJA um, in getting her sentence reduced. And I also read the New Yorker article about it. And for me, it's interesting to see how different people cover the facts. Um, You know, when I was first reading the Poughkeepsie Journal, I just kind of like took things at face value. But then I also write about what was said in The New Yorker and just the ways in which Grover and Automondo are represented are just so different. Mm -hmm. I think that when you have increased press coverage, that is obviously good. Any news is good news. Publicity is always, you know, very helpful with things like this. But it's also the type of language and the intent behind the pieces just struck me as very different. I'm really interested in this kind of tension between the the creation of this law that is supposed to, you know, protect victims of domestic violence and then um, this trend of women still being um, accused of, um, you know, cold-bloodedly murdering their husbands or partners. Um, Do you have any, like, comments about that specifically or maybe thinking about gender and how this interacts with the criminal justice system? Yeah, so I think gender politics is incredibly important when you're looking at this. Um, I think it's important to establish that men can also be abused by women, but Mm -hmm. if you're looking at the statistics, it's usually women who are abused by their partners, and it's also, you know, in cases like this, women are usually... Uh, don't leave because of threats of intimidation, because threats of, you know, to their personal Mm -hmm. safety, to their livelihood. You know, as um, I wrote in the piece, Grover threatened to kill Automondo if she tried to leave him. And I think that when people look at this, they have to understand the power dynamic that's at play. It's not always a financial power dynamic, although mm-hmm. that is, you know, if you're looking at traditional gender norms, something that is should be considered. It's also about the who defers to who in that situation. I think in this case, um, it was very obvious that Nicole would defer to Christopher because she did love him and she said so like many times throughout the case that, you know, she just wanted the old person, the person who she first fell in love with mm-hmm. to come back. And so that's why it was especially frustrating when the judge cited in his brief after the um, after rejecting the use of the DVSJA that Adamondo had various opportunities to leave. It's things like that when you cut out the nuance and treat it as a simple murder case mm-hmm. that I think the intent behind passing laws like the um, DVSJA is erased because you're essentially treating it as if it's um, something, as if the baseline between domestic violence survivors and their actions is the same as someone who murders in cold blood. And that is absolutely mm. not the case. And that was why so many supporters of Nicole Automondo pushed so fervently to have that act applied because that baseline is just mm-hmm. so different. And moving forward, um, I hope that this doesn't discourage anyone else from trying to use the law. I mean, I'm certainly sure that it wouldn't, but I'm excited to see how this is going to progress at the state level. Mm-hmm. And do you have any updates specifically for this case do you know if there'll be um more organizing around it or some sort of repealing process so i got an email last night from the defense committee as far as i know there is no update uh 
they said in the email that in the past week they've kind of taken the time to you know grieve because mm-hmm. of course they've essentially lost a family member indefinitely. I know that there are efforts to raise funds for Nicole's two children. She has a seven-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. So the, any donations to that, I know that they would appreciate immensely. I know that they are looking for new lawyers. They are looking for lawyers who specialize in appellate law now that they're moving up through the court system. Mm-hmm. So they're probably going to look to Manhattan for that. Um, that was just, you know, like a... Um, something that I got through word of mouth. But other than that, I think that they're really biding their time. They're uh, sort of deliberating the next steps that are going to be taken because this is obviously something that has gone on for two and a half years now. She ha- is, she's been sentenced to 19 to life. I think that you know these next steps they're going to take are going to be very careful, but I do hope to continue reporting on it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for your excellent reporting and for coming in to speak with us today about this. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all that we have for you today. Be sure to tune in live to the More Than Miscellaneous talk show airing every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. on WVKR 91.3 FM Poughkeepsie. 